Chapter 18, Part 1 of The Quest of the Historical Jesus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Quest of the Historical Jesus by Albert Schweitzer. Translated by William Montgomery. Chapter 18, Part 1 The Position of the Subject at the Close of the Nineteenth Century. Bibliography. Oscar Holtzmann, The Life of Jesus, Tumingen, 1901, 417 pages. The Messianic Consciousness of Jesus and the Most Recent Denial of It, A Lecture Against Vreda, 1902, 26 pages. Was Jesus an Ecstatic? Tumingen, 1903, 139 pages. Paul Wilhelm Schmidt, The History of Jesus, Freiburg, 1899, 175 pages, Fourth Impression. The History of Jesus, Preliminary Discussions, with three maps by Professor K. Fuhrer of Zurich. Tumingen, 1904, 414 pages. Otto Schmiedel, The Main Problems in the Study of the Life of Jesus. Tumingen, 1902, 71 pages, Second Edition, 1906. Hermann Freidherr von Zoden, The Most Important Questions About the Life of Jesus, Vacation Lectures, Berlin, 1904, 111 pages. Gustav Frenzen, The Manuscript, in which a life of Jesus, written by one of the characters of the story, is given in full. Berlin, 1905, pages 462 through 593. Otto Fleider, Primitive Christianity, Its Documents and Doctrines in Their Historical Context. Second Edition, Berlin, 1902. Volume 1, 696 pages. How Primitive Christianity Arose. Munich, 1905, 255 pages. Albert Kaltoff, The Christ Problem, The Ground Plan of a Social Theology. Leipzig, 1902, 87 pages. How Christianity Arose, New Contributions to the Christ Problem, Leipzig, 1904, 155 pages. Eduard von Hartmann, The Christianity of the New Testament, Second Revised Edition of Letters on the Christian Religion, Satya in the Hars, 1905, 311 pages. De Jong, Yeshua, The Classical Jewish Man, in which the Jewish picture of Jesus is unveiled and the ecclesiastical picture destroyed. Berlin, 1904, 112 pages. Wolfgang Kirchbach. What was the teaching of Jesus? Two primitive gospels. Berlin, 1897, 248 pages. Second revised and greatly enlarged edition, 1902, 339 pages. Albert Dulk. The False Step in the Life of Jesus, in Historical View, First Part, 1884, 395 pages, Second Part, 1885, 302 pages. Paul de Regia, Jesus of Nazareth, Leipzig, 1894, 435 pages. Ernest Bosk, The Secret Life of Jesus of Nazareth and the Oriental Origins of Christianity, Paris, 1902. The ideal life of Jesus of the close of the 19th century 
is the life which Heinrich Julius Holtzmann did not write, but which can be pieced together from his commentary on the Synoptic Gospels and his New Testament theology. It is ideal because, for one thing, it is unwritten, and arises only in the idea of the reader by the aid of his own imagination, and, for another, because it is traced only in the most general outline. What Holtzmann gives us is a sketch of the public ministry, a critical examination of details, and a full account of the teaching of Jesus. He provides, therefore, the plan and the prepared building material, so that anyone can carry out the construction in his own way and on his own responsibility. The cement and the mortar are not provided by Holtzmann. Everyone must decide for himself how he will combine the teaching and the life, and arrange the details within each. We may recall the fact that Weisse, too, the other founder of the Markan hypothesis, avoided writing a life of Jesus, because the difficulty of fitting the details into the ground plan appeared to him so great, not to say insuperable. It is just this modesty which constitutes his greatness and Holtzmann's. Thus, the Markan hypothesis ends, as it had begun, with a certain historical skepticism. The subordinates, it is true, do not allow themselves to be disturbed by the change of attitude at headquarters. They keep busily at work. That is their right, and therein consists their significance. By keeping on trying to take the positions, and constantly failing, they furnish a practical proof that the plan of operations worked out by the general staff is not capable of being carried out, and show why it is so and what kind of new tactics will have to be evolved. The credit of having written a life of Jesus which is strictly scientific, in its own way very remarkable, and yet foredoomed to failure, belongs to Oskar Holtzmann. He has complete confidence in the Markan plan, and makes it his task to fit all the sayings of Jesus into this framework, to show, quote, what can belong to each period of the preaching of Jesus, and what cannot. His method is to give free play to the magnetic power of the most important passages in the Markan text, making other sayings of similar import detach themselves from their present connection and come and group themselves round the main passages. For example, the controversy with the scribes at Jerusalem regarding the charge of doing miracles by the help of Satan, from Mark chapter 3, verses 22 through 30, belongs, according to Holtzmann, as regards content and chronology, to the same period as the controversy in Mark chapter 7, about the ordinances of men which results in Jesus being obliged to take flight, the woes pronounced upon Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum, which now follow on the eulogy upon the Baptist, from Matthew chapter 11, verses 21 through 23, and are, accordingly, represented as having been spoken at the time of the sending forth of the twelve, are drawn by the same kind of magnetic force into the neighborhood of Mark chapter 7, and, quote, express very clearly the attitude of Jesus at the time of his withdrawal from the scene of his earlier ministry. Close quote. The saying in Matthew chapter 7 verse 6 about not giving that which is holy to the dogs or casting pearls before swine, does not belong to the Sermon on the Mount, but to the time when Jesus, after Caesarea Philippi, 
forbids the disciples to reveal the secret of his messiahship to the multitude jesus's action in cursing the fig tree so that it should henceforth bring no fruit to its owner who was perhaps a poor man is to be brought into relation with the words spoken on the evening before with reference to the lavish expenditure involved in his anointing the poor ye have always with you the point being that jesus now quote, in the clear consciousness of his approaching death feels his own worth and dismisses the contingency of even the poor having to lose something for his sake Close quote. with the words quote, it does not matter Close quote. all these transpositions and new connections mean it is clear a great deal of internal and external violence to the text a further service rendered by this very thorough work of oscar holtzmann's is that of showing how much reading between the lines is necessary in order to construct a life of jesus on the basis of the markan hypothesis in its modern interpretation it is thus for instance that the author must have acquired the knowledge that the controversy about the ordinances of purification in mark chapter seven forced the people quote, to choose between the old and the new religion close quote in which case it is no wonder that many turned back from following jesus where are we told that there was any question of an old and a new religion the disciples certainly did not think of things in this way as is shown by their conduct at the time of his death and the discourses of peter in acts where do we read that the people turned away from jesus in mark chapter seven verses seventeen and twenty four all that is said is that jesus left the people and in mark chapter seven verse thirty three the same multitude is still assembled when jesus returns from the banishment into which holtzmann relegates him oscar holtzmann declares that we cannot tell what was the size of the following which accompanied jesus in his journey northwards and is inclined to assume that others besides the twelve shared his exile the evangelists however say clearly that it was only the mathetai that is the twelve who were with him the value which this special knowledge independent of the text has for the author becomes evident a little further on after peter's confession jesus calls the multitude to him from mark chapter eight verse thirty four and speaks to them of his sufferings and of taking up the cross and following him this multitude holtzmann wants to make quote, the whole company of jesus followers to which belonged not only the twelve whom jesus had formerly sent out to preach but many others also Close quote. the knowledge drawn from outside the text is therefore required to solve a difficulty in the text but how did his companions in exile the remnant of the previous multitude themselves become a multitude the same multitude as before would it not be better to admit that we do not know how in a gentile country the multitude could suddenly rise out of the ground as it were continue with him until mark chapter nine verse thirty and then disappear into the earth as suddenly as they came leaving him to pursue his journey towards Galilee and Jerusalem alone. Another thing which Oscar Holtzmann knows is that it required a good deal of courage for Peter to hail Jesus as Messiah, since the, quote, 
exile wandering about with his small following in a gentile country answered so badly to the general picture which people had formed of the coming of the messiah he knows too that in the moment of peter's confession quote, christianity was complete in the sense that a community separate from judaism and centering about a new ideal then arose Close quote. This community frequently appears from this point onwards. There is nothing about it in the narratives which know only the twelve and the people. Oscar Holtzmann's knowledge even extends to dialogues which are not reported in the Gospels. After the incident at Caesarea Philippi, the minds of the disciples were, according to him, preoccupied by two questions. How did Jesus know that he was the Messiah? and what will be the future fate of this messiah the lord answered both questions he spoke to them of his baptism and quote, doubtless in close connection with that close quote, he told them the story of his temptation during which he had laid down the lines which he was determined to follow as messiah of the transfiguration oscar holtzmann can state with confidence quote, that it merely represents the inner experience of the disciples at the moment of Peter's confession. How is it, then, that Mark expressly dates that scene, placing it, in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, six days after the discourse of Jesus about taking up the cross and following him? The fact is that the time indications of the text are treated as non-existent whenever the Markan hypothesis requires an order determined by inner connection. The statement of Luke that the transfiguration took place eight days after is dismissed in the remark, quote, The motive of this indication of time is doubtless to be found in the use of the gospel narratives for reading in public worship. The idea was that the section about the transfiguration should be read on the Sunday following that on which the confession of Peter formed the lesson. Close quote. Where did Oscar Holtzmann suddenly discover this information about the order of the Sunday lessons at the time when Luke's gospel was written? It was doubtless from the same private source of information that the author derived his knowledge regarding the gradual development of the thought of the passion in the consciousness of Jesus. He explains, quote, After the confession of Peter at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus' death became for him only the necessary point of transition to the glory beyond. In the discourse of Jesus, to which the request of Salome gave occasion, the death of Jesus already appears as the means of saving many from death because his death makes possible the coming of the kingdom of God. At the institution of the supper, Jesus regards his imminent death as the meritorious deed by which the blessings of the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins and victory over sin, are permanently secured to his community. We see Jesus constantly becoming more and more at home with the idea of his death and constantly giving it a deeper interpretation. Anyone who is less skilled in reading the thoughts of Jesus, and more simple and natural in his reading of the text of Mark, cannot fail to observe that Jesus speaks, in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, of his death as an expiation, not as a means of saving others from death, 
and that at the lord's supper there was no reference to his community but only to the inexplicable many which is also the word in mark chapter 10 verse 45 we ought to admit freely that we do not know what the thoughts of jesus about his death were at the time of the first prediction of the passion after peter's confession and to be on our guard against the original sin of theology that of exalting the argument from silence when it appears to be useful to the rank of positive realities is there not a certain irony in the fact that the application of natural psychology to the explanation of the thoughts of jesus compels the assumption of supra-historical private information such as this bart and venturini hardly read more subjective interpretations into the text than many modern lives of jesus and the hypothesis of the secret society which after all did recognize and do justice to the inexplicability from an external standpoint of the relations of events and of the conduct of jesus was in many respects more historical than the psychological links of connection which our modernizing historians discover without having any foundation for them in the text in the end this supplementary knowledge destroys the historicity of the simplest sections oscar holtzmann ventures to conjecture that the healing of the blind man at jericho quote, is to be understood as a symbolical representation of the conversion of zacchaeus close quote, which of course is found only in luke here then the defender of the Markan hypothesis rejects the incident by which the evangelist explains the enthusiasm of the entry into jerusalem not to mention that luke tells us nothing whatever about a conversion of zacchaeus but only that jesus was invited to his house and graciously accepted the invitation it would be something if this almost alexandrian symbolical exegesis contributed in some way to the removal of difficulties and to the solution of the main problem that namely of the present or future messiah the present or future kingdom oscar holtzmann lays great stress upon the eschatological character of the preaching of jesus regarding the kingdom and assumes that at least at the beginning it would not have been natural for his hearers to understand that jesus the herald of the messiah was himself the messiah nevertheless he is of opinion that in a certain sense the presence of jesus implied the presence of the kingdom that peter and the rest of the disciples advancing beyond the ideas of the multitude recognized him as messiah that this recognition ought to have been possible for the people also and in that case would have been quote, the strongest incentive to abandon evil ways and that jesus at the time of his entry into jerusalem seems to have felt that in isaiah chapter sixty two verse eleven there was a direct command not to withhold the knowledge of his messiahship from the inhabitants of jerusalem Close quote. but if this jesus made a messianic entry he must thereafter have given himself out as messiah and the whole controversy would necessarily have turned upon this claim this however was not the case according to holtzmann all that the hearers could make out of that crucial question for the messiahship in mark chapter twelve verses thirty five through thirty seven was only quote, that jesus clearly showed from the scriptures that the messiah was not in reality 
the son of David. But how was it that the messianic enthusiasm on the part of the people did not lead to a messianic controversy, in spite of the fact that Jesus, quote, from the first came forward in Jerusalem as Messiah? Close quote. This difficulty Holtzmann seems to be trying to provide against when he remarks in a footnote, quote, We have no evidence that Jesus, even during the last sojourn in Jerusalem, was recognized as Messiah except by those who belonged to the inner circle of disciples. The repetition by the children of the acclamations of the disciple, from Matthew chapter 21, verses 15 and 16, can hardly be considered of much importance in this connection. According to this, Jesus entered Jerusalem as Messiah, but except for the disciples and a few children, no one recognized his entry as having a messianic significance. But Mark states that many spread their garments upon the way, and others plucked down branches from the trees and strewed them in the way, and that those that went before and those that followed after cried, Hosanna! The Markan narrative must therefore be kept out of sight for the moment, in order that the life of Jesus as conceived by the modern Markan hypothesis may not be endangered. We should not, however, regard the evidence of supernatural knowledge and the self-contradictions of this life of Jesus as a matter for censure, but rather as a proof of the merits of Oscar Holtzmann's work. He has written the last large-scale life of Jesus, the only one which the Markan hypothesis has produced, and aims at providing a scientific basis for the assumptions which the general lines of that hypothesis compel him to make. And in this process, it becomes clearly apparent that the connection of events can only be carried through at the decisive passages by violent treatment, or even by rejection of the Markan text in the interests of the Markan hypothesis. These merits do not belong in the same measure to the other modern lives of Jesus, which follow more or less the same lines. They are short sketches, in some cases based on lectures, and their brevity makes them perhaps more lively and convincing than Holtzmann's work, but they take for granted just what he felt it necessary to prove. P. W. Schmidt's Geschichte Jesu from 1899 which, as a work of literary art, has few rivals among theological works of recent years, confines itself to pure narrative. The volume of prolegomena which appeared in 1904, and is intended to exhibit the foundations of the narrative, treats of the sources, of the kingdom of God, of the Son of Man, and of the law. It makes the most of the weakening of the eschatological standpoint, which is manifested in the second edition of Johannes Weiss's preaching of Jesus, but it does not give sufficient prominence to the difficulties of reconstructing the public ministry of Jesus. Neither Otto Schmiedel's The Principal Problems of the Study of the Life of Jesus, nor von Soden's Vacation Lectures on the Principal Questions in the Life of Jesus, fulfills the promise of its title. They both aim, rather, at solving new problems proposed by themselves than at restating the old ones and adding new. They hope to meet the views of Johannes Weiss by strongly emphasizing the eschatology, and think they can escape the critical skepticism of writers like Volkmar and Brand by assuming an Urmarkus. 
their view is therefore that with a few modifications dictated by the eschatological and skeptical school the traditional conception of the life of jesus is still tenable whereas it is just the a priori presuppositions of this conception hitherto held to be self-evident which constitute the main problems says von soden in one passage quote, it is self-evident in view of the inner connection in which the kingdom of god and the messiah stood in the thoughts of the people that in all classes the question must have been discussed so that jesus could not permanently have avoided their question what of the messiah art thou not he Close quote. where in the synoptics is there a word to show that this is self-evident when the disciples in mark chapter eight tell jesus whom men held him to be none of them suggests that any one had been tempted to regard him as the messiah and that was shortly before jesus set out for jerusalem from the day when the envoys of the scribes from jerusalem first appeared in the north the easily influenced galilean multitude began according to von soden to waver how does he know that the galileans were easily influenced how does he know they wavered the gospels tell us neither one nor the other the demand for a sign was to quote von soden again a demand for a proof of his messiahship adds the author quote, yet another indication that later christianity in putting so high a value on the miracles of jesus as a proof of his messiahship departed widely from the thoughts of jesus Close quote. before leveling reproaches of this kind against later christianity it would be well to point to some passages of mark or matthew in which there is mention of a demand for a sign as a proof of his messiahship when the appearance of jesus in the south we are still following von soden aroused the messianic expectations of the people as they had formerly been aroused in his native country quote, they once more failed to understand the correction of them which jesus had made by the manner of his entry and his conduct in jerusalem Close quote. they are unable to understand this transvaluation of values and as often as the impression made by his personality suggested the thought that he was the messiah they became doubtful again wherein consisted the correction of the messianic expectation given at the triumphal entry was it that he rode upon an ass would it not be better if modern historical theology instead of always making the people grow doubtful were to grow a little doubtful of itself and to begin to look for the evidence of that transvaluation of values which according to them the contemporaries of jesus were not able to follow von soden also possesses special information about the quote, peculiar history of the origin close quote, of the messianic consciousness of jesus he knows that it was subsidiary to a primary general religious consciousness of sonship the rise of this messianic consciousness implies in its turn the quote, transformation of the conception of the kingdom of god and explains how in the mind of jesus this conception was both present and future Close quote. the greatness of jesus is he thinks to be found in the fact that for him 
this kingdom of god was only a limiting conception the ultimate goal of a gradual process of approximation Quote, to the question whether it was to be realized here or in the beyond jesus would have answered as he answered a similar question that no man knoweth no not the son as if he had not answered that question in the petition thy kingdom come supposing that such a question could ever have occurred to a contemporary in the sense that the kingdom was to pass from the beyond into the present this modern historical theology will not allow jesus to have formed a theory to explain his thoughts about his passion Quote, for him the certainty was amply sufficient my death will affect what my life has not been able to accomplish Close quote. is there then no theory implied in the saying about the ransom for many and in that about my blood which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins although jesus does not explain it how does von soden know what was amply sufficient for jesus or what was not otto schmiedel goes so far as to deny that jesus gave distinct expression to an expectation of suffering the most he can have done and this is only a perhaps is to have hinted at it in his discourses in strong contrast with this confidence in committing themselves to historical conjectures stands the skepticism with which von soden and schmiedel approach the gospels says schmiedel quote, it is at once evident that the great groups of discourses in matthew such as the sermon on the mount the seven parables of the kingdom and so forth were not arranged in this order in the source that is the logia still less by jesus himself the order is doubtless due to the evangelist but what is the answer to the question on what grounds is this at once clear von soden's pronouncement is even more radical he says quote, in the composition of the discourses no regard is paid in matthew any more than in john to the supposed audience or to the point of time in the life of jesus to which they are attributed as early as the sermon on the mount we find references to persecutions and warnings against false prophets similarly in the charge to the twelve there are also warnings which undoubtedly belong to a later time intimate sayings evidently intended for the inner circle of the disciples have the widest publicity given to them but why should whatever is incomprehensible to us be unhistorical would it not be better simply to admit that we do not understand certain connections of ideas and turns of expression in the discourses of jesus but instead even of making an analytical examination of the apparent connections and stating them as problems the discourses of jesus and the sections of the gospels are tricked out with ingenious headings which have nothing to do with them thus for instance von soden heads the beatitudes from matthew chapter five verses three through twelve what jesus brings to men the following verses matthew chapter five verses thirteen through sixteen what he makes of men p w schmidt in his history of jesus 
shows himself a past master in this art. The rights of the wife is the title of the dialogue about divorce, as if the question at stake had been for Jesus the equality of the sexes, and not simply and solely the sanctity of marriage. Sunshine for the children is the heading for the scene where Jesus takes the children in his arms, as if the purpose of Jesus had been to protest against severity in the upbringing of children. Again, he brings together the stories of the man who must first bury his father, of the rich young man, of the dispute about precedence, of Zacchaeus, and others which have equally little connection under the heading Discipline for Jesus' Followers. These often brilliant creations of artificial connections of thought give a curious attractiveness to the works of Schmidt and von Soden. The latter's survey of the Gospels is a really delightful performance, but this kind of thing is not consistent with pure objective history. End of chapter 18, part 1